When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everybody. I got a bummer today. You know, as usual. Because we're talking about Ukraine. Oh, do I have to think about that again, Al? Can't you just do one on everything closing in on Trump? That's my happy place, Al. Yes, and I will start with that because it's my happy place, too. He's going down. I really believe it. Key development this week, of course, the DOJ is clearly taking a very intensive look. Uh, Donald Trump's criminal culpability in its active investigation into the January 6th insurrection. And, you know, I've said all along that Trump is without a doubt guilty, beginning uh, with the audio with Raffensperger. All I want is to find 11,780 votes. And if, if you don't do that, it's very dangerous for you, which I thought was so stupid on so many counts. First, just the idea that Raffensperger would actually do that. Can you imagine that press conference? Um, <clears throat> I'm uh, Brad Raffensperger, uh, Georgia Secretary of State, and we have a uh, new count in the presidential election here in Georgia. The winner by one vote is Donald Trump. So I'll get to that in a second. But my guest today is Julia Yaffe, Russian-born journalist who has written about international affairs for the New York Times, The Atlantic, The New Yorker, known for her trenchant writing about the culture and politics of Russia. And since the beginning of the war in Ukraine, her newsletter, Puck, has uh, become a, a must-read. And we talked about where things are in this horrific war. And the headline is that this is not ending anytime soon because both sides think it's in their advantage to keep fighting. But but first, Trump, how about the January 6th committee hearings? I love, love, love how your Tucker Carlson, your Sean Hannity, your Laura Ingram have been saying, why are they even doing it? What a waste of time. Don't watch it. Please don't watch it. It's nothing here. Holy crap. These things have been great. I was in the vicinity of a conversation where I overheard the president say something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Take the effing bags away. Hmm. They're not going to hurt me. Then who are they going to hurt? Take the effing bags away. Then they can march to the Capitol. 
Oh, yeah, the people at the Capitol. Well, maybe he wasn't convinced that folks going to the Capitol in body armor with bear spray, spears, brass knuckles, pistols, and AR-15s were going to be violent. So, just in case, he sent out a text. Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done. (laughs) And Bill Barr and everyone else with any credibility told Trump that he had lost the election. So he went to nutcase Rudy Giuliani, who told the Republican Arizona Speaker of the House, we don't have evidence, we have theories. And I think inevitably the case against Trump is so open and shut, so open and shut that they will have to try him and he will be convicted and then there will be violence. Because Malcolm Nance laid it out a few podcasts ago in his book, They want to kill Americans. So that's the good news. So let's turn to the bad news. Julia Yaffe joins me today. A real bummer. You know, as usual. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash Wondery. Now, you were born in Russia. Yep. And you left when you were seven, seven years old? That's it. You know, I've heard this theory about this. Uh, which is, you know how Henry Kissinger, I don't know how old he was when he moved to the United States, but, you know, he, he, got, he has the accent. Mm-hmm. And I heard this theory, and I don't know if you've ever heard this, that if you emigrate to the United States before puberty. That's it. Will, yep. Is mm-hmm. that it? Yeah. This is, I've, I've read this too, that this is like that your brain changes the way it acquires language at puberty and that uh, before puberty, you're still kind of a sponge and you, your brain learns language basically osmotically, right? And after puberty, you have to learn rules and grammar and people have accents if they learn a new language after puberty. So, for example, in my family, my uh, cousins, for example, immigrated two years after us. So, I was seven. I don't think I have an accent, although some people, when I say, oh, yeah, I was born in Russia, some people will immediately say, oh, yeah, I do detect an accent. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't don't fucking, you don't (laughs) detect a fucking accent. Shut up. 
Yeah, the way you say fucking is just like it. <laughs> but my cousins arrived two years later, and my younger cousin was nine, and my older cousin was 12 and had already started puberty. And uh, she has an accent, but my younger cousin does not. And they arrived at the exact same time. So, QED. Wow. There is proof. There yeah. it is. Okay. Well, uh, you have no, no accent. So... I want to talk uh, mainly about Ukraine today because I think uh, people, uh, and you write about this, have a short attention span in this country and are concerned with a lot of other things. And people have stopped uh, following it. And New York Times has stopped writing about it as much. Let's start with where is it now? I mean, we, we've seen the Russians have gains in the East. Where, where, where is it? Tell me where we are. Well, unfortunately, it's still there. Uh, the fighting is still happening. It seems to have kind of slowed down a bit. Uh, it seems like the Russians have paused, have hit pause, either because they're regrouping so that they can keep going, or because the HIMARS that the Ukrainian army now has, courtesy of U.S. taxpayers, are pounding Russian supply lines behind them. These are uh, kind of longer-range missiles that uh, we we won't go into russian territory but we can go right. all the way to the uh, edge of it right right a and uh, we can knock out their stuff and yeah they're pretty powerful and they're having quite uh quite an impact when did those arrive oh you're putting me on the spot here i don't know exactly but quite recently and they've already had a i mean this month uh and right. they've already had an impact so the Russians have taken basically all of the Luhansk region, which used to be home to a little nub called the Luhansk People's Republic, this so-called separatist republic, which was one of the two separatist republics that Vladimir Putin recognized back in February that and Dunbar. was the pretext. Yeah. And then there was the Donetsk People's Republic. And this was the pretext under which he invaded Ukraine on February 24th. He said that we're going to help these republics and we're going to liberate these republics in the areas that they have declared to be their area, which was the entirety of the uh, Ukrainian Luhansk region and the Ukrainian Donetsk region. They've gotten most of Luhansk. They've gotten a big chunk of the Donetsk region, but not all of it. And they seem to have taken a break there. And then a little bit further south, we have the Kherson region, which was one of the first to fall in the war and was seen as a kind of very pro-Russian region. Um, the Ukrainians are making some gains in a counteroffensive there. So that's kind of what's happening on the battlefield. And then you have Russians shelling cities like Mykolaiv, like Vinnytsia, like Kharkiv, killing civilians. How, ma how many civilians? have the russians killed we don't know there's not a reliable count but probably tens of thousands at this point mm -hmm. it's horrific and you know a, a friend of mine was just in odessa reporting and she said it's just like the sense there is absolutely terrifying you just don't know when a missile will fall from the sky and kill you and i think that's kind of the point this kind of sense of terror this is why you've had the Ukrainians saying that the Russians should be labeled a state sponsor of terrorism because of this sense of terror that they are 
inflicting on the Russia, on the Ukrainian, excuse me, civilian population, right? This, this sense of randomness that death will kind of just fall from the sky on you randomly and you can't predict yep. it. You can't prevent it. You can't run. You can't hide. It will just come for you randomly. And I think that's very terrifying for Ukrainians there. But, you know, you look at Kiev. Life seems to be returning to normal as much as it can. People are starting to go out again, even though parts of Kiev will randomly come under shelling. People are trying to live their lives. Why, why, why haven't they hit where Zelensky holds court? And why, why haven't they hit that? Is that deliberate? I mean, they can target this stuff, right? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, they haven't been very good at targeting stuff. They keep missing. They're not very good. I mean, I think one of the overriding... Not overriding. One of the biggest lessons we've learned from this is that the Russians aren't very good. And, and we've learned this. I, this is the lesson I, I want to keep accentuating for Americans over the last 10 years. A lot of Americans are becoming more and more scared of, the, of Russia and the Russian government, which fair. But, you know, the, the evil that we see coming out of the Kremlin is often mitigated by incompetence and stupidity. They're just not very good at what they do. You know, like they sent in s some goons with Novichok into- They're pretty good at hacking us. Yeah, but like, meh. It, it, they, it took them two groups. They kind of got in each other's way. They broke a bunch of stuff along the way. Like they, they didn't do a very good job of it. If you and look the, at you're it talking operationally. about the 16 election. I think this is uh, Putin's court. Uh, I think, look, they, I think they were able to use it well, but if you look at the actual hack itself, it was a total mess operationally. Like what they're doing is really bad shit, but they often trip over themselves. So like they sent two goons to, into Salisbury, England to kill this former FSB agent, Sergei Skripal, and they didn't kill him. They killed a random British woman by accident. Right. They poisoned him. They nearly killed him, but they didn't get the job done. I mean, they've destroyed a good chunk of Ukraine. They've killed tens of thousands of Ukrainians, civilians and soldiers. Well, that, that's just evil. Yeah, right. Like it's horrible. Yeah, no, it is evil. I'm not saying that it's not. They, they do a lot of damage and a lot of harm. But they're also there is also a lot of incompetence and stupidity wrapped up in it. And that is to your question of why they haven't hit the presidential you know, administration is one possibility is that they can't. <laughs> okay. I, I know that they've had uh, very accurate missiles, some, and anyway. Something like a third of their missiles haven't exploded. Uh, <laughs> no one is arguing that this is an amazingly effective ar army. That's even though all Ted, I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, Ted Cruz, uh, remember, always criticized uh, us for like having women in uh, fighting our, in, in the military and the infantry and all that kind of stuff. And we weren't as masculine as the Russian <laughs> army. And uh, boy, oh boy. Anyway, it, it, the point is, is that uh, our military is a lot better than Russia's. I'll tell you that. So you've written a piece about how the Europeans are really worried about these midterms. Mm -hmm. And our commitment to this. And if that the Republicans win the House, that the support, the military support, the, the spending that we do on this, because we've how much how much have we spent supporting uh, Ukraine in this war? I think we've spent. Ooh, I've I, I have lost count, but we had that 40 billion dollar bill that passed. 
we've only shelled out a part of that. It's been tens of billions of dollars already, I think, from December on. And you're hearing some grumbling from some Republicans in that. Well, you're also hearing it from the left. You know, you're hearing it both from the left and the right that, you know, um, it's the classic isolationist argument, which is, I personally think is a kind of logical fallacy, which is, you know, why spend money helping some country way over there fight their war when we have, you know, a baby formula shortage here, or we have you know, why build roads somewhere else when we could be building roads here? And um, on one hand, I get it. It's a hard argument to make concisely. Remember the Marshall Marshall Plan? Exactly. And wasn't that was a really good idea. <laughs> it was. But you know what? So I was just at a, at a conference commemorating it. And somebody at the conference said that at the time, it was 5% of America's GDP. And I just thought, holy shit, 5%. Can you imagine that happening now? Well, that's, we should be spending something like that on climate and we should be. Yeah, but the no point way. is, if we don't support Ukraine, and you write about this, that Putin ain't going to stop. And you, you know, there are a number of people, including Gezija, who have said that we should negotiate some kind of settlement or we, and I think the operative word is we, as opposed to Ukraine, <laughs> uh, negotiating this. You know, I'm totally myself against that. I, I, I think that if, if, and you write this, I'll let you make the argument. Look, I think that if in general, if you don't, spend a little bit, even if it feels like a lot of money now, if you don't spend it now to solve the problem now, it will be a bigger, more expensive problem later. And I think we've seen this with Ukraine, for example, we didn't stop it back in 2014. And it's something that Ukrainians are scolding us for, I think very accurately, um, that we should have given them all these weapons back then in 2014, so that they could have pushed Russia out of the Donbass definitively or out of Crimea definitively. And that was on Obama's watch. Look, I think uh, what a lot of Democrats don't want to acknowledge is that there was a lot more continuity in America's foreign policy from Obama to Donald Trump than we want to admit in terms of kind of America turning inward and withdrawing and, uh, you know, quote unquote, not wanting to not being the world's policeman, which I get it. Look, like we pay in America, we pay a lot of taxes. I pay a shit ton of taxes and I don't seem to get a lot for it. And I remember a meme going around like the first week of world of, uh, the war in Ukraine. And it, and it was like, um, American jets lined up on a tarmac and it, and it said, you know, in those meme letters, it said, Russia's about to find out. And at the bottom, it said, why Americans don't have health care. <laughs> you know, um, I like I, I get it. I get the frustration. Um, but uh, if we don't play the world's policemen, there are other countries who do want to play the world's policemen, and they are Russia and China. And if we think that if America stops playing the world's policemen, everything will just be hunky-dory, and the world will be peaceful, and there will be no conflict because... These people think that all conflict is caused by America. Like they're, they have big surprise coming for them. Uh, of course, this was a natural reaction to Iraq and 
Afghanistan, mm-hmm. especially Iraq. And um, of course, so, but the, but but there are things that pre- precede Iraq, right? I think I think Vietnam. what happens in <laughs> well Vietnam, but also World War II and the Cold War and the occupation of half of Europe by the Soviet Union and World War One and a big complicated history. And and what I'm saying is that um, I, I'm with you, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. I just think that like what our disadvantage politically, and it's not one that. Russia and China have is that our memory cache seems to clean itself out like once a decade. And um, our memory of foreign policy seems to start in 2003 now, whereas it, it, right, it doesn't for Russia and China. They have a much longer, longer term view, both forward and backwards. I, uh, I want you to make the argument against our negotiating a settlement here, you know, on behalf of Ukraine, but not Ukraine doing it, you know, basically what you, you, you say is uh, that'll just encourage Putin and they'll just keep going because he doesn't actually abide by any agreements anyway. Yes, there's that. But also I think it's not, you can't force two sides to, to make an agreement if neither side wants to negotiate. I think neither the Ukrainians nor the Russians are ready to stop fighting and ready to negotiate. I think both sides think that they can get more out of fighting, that they can get more on the battlefield and improve their position on the battlefield going into negotiations, right? Because whatever they negotiate is going to be influenced by what things look like on the battlefield. And uh, I think they still think that things are fluid enough there that they're not ready to stop fighting and sit down and, and negotiate. And both the both Kiev and Moscow have said as much openly. I also think that, you know, Ukraine is fighting for its very independence. Like Russia is not fighting for territory. Russia is fighting to dismantle Ukraine as an idea, as a concept, as a country. And they have been very, very open about that fact. Mm-hmm. Putin mm-hmm. does not believe Ukraine is a real country. He doesn't believe it should exist. Just the other day, we've seen reports that there are parts of the Russian army that now have are, are wearing um, patches on their uniforms that say, onward to Kiev, they're not done and they, they're not going to stop in the Donbass. So I don't, I don't think we're ready for a settlement because the two sides aren't ready for a settlement. And because the Ukrainians are fighting for their very existence, I think we should kind of follow their lead on, on that, if that makes sense, because it's existential for them. Uh, and then, as we just saw with, uh, like this weekend on Friday, Russia signed on to an agreement agreeing not to bomb the infrastructure in Ukrainian ports that would be involved in exporting grain and fertilizer and other agricultural products that would alleviate this agricultural food crisis that the war has created, that Russia created by invading Europe's breadbasket. Right. And then less than 24 hours later, they bombed Odessa, which is the biggest port and the biggest port that would be involved in exporting this grain. And then, you know, and then they argued a technicality and said, well, actually, we bombed a military object there and not a grain related object there. But it's like, okay, sure. But how safe are people going to feel, you know, moving grain in and out of a port that where you're going to be given your accuracy? issues 
if you're bombing this port. And and to me, it just showed it, it was just such a big fuck you. Honestly, it was such a big fuck you. It was like, we're Russia, we can do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah, we signed an agreement, but we don't really think it's worth much or the paper it was written on. Because and, and that's what uh, Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister said, he's like, nothing in the agreement stops us from waging our special operation. And basically, fuck you. And and that's what it means to negotiate with somebody like him. You know, I was I was just at the Aspen Security Forum last week, and I was talking to my old friend and former boss and mentor Susan Glasser, who has also been a Russia watcher for a long time. Uh, she and her husband Peter Baker were based in Moscow for the Washington Post from 2000 to 2005. And Susan made an amazing point. She was like, "Look, I've been racking my brain, and I've been thinking back to 1999 when Putin." came into office and I've been trying to think of a single time that Putin took an off-ramp and de-escalated. And I cannot think of a single time because every single time there was an off-ramp, he just floored it past the exit. And I don't know how you negotiate with somebody like that. And, um, you know, I've sort of been hoping that one day we'll find out that, you know, one of uh, the generals came in and shot him or something but i guess well that, you know. can i can i can i put a bullet in that theory i'm so sorry but the problem with this war is that well one of <laughs> there are so many problems with this war but one of the problems is that having started it putin created a faction that maybe didn't exist before because people i think even in the army didn't know that the war was going to happen like a few people knew that this war was going to happen and they were very close to Putin. And then he gave the orders to a shocked military that then carried them out. But now that it's six months in, there is a very strong contingent, both in the military and in the you know security services like the GRU and the FSB, who think having started it, we should just fucking finish it. And we shouldn't dilly dally and wear kid gloves we should level kiev we should go all out and finish the thing and and not play nice with the ukrainians because that's how they see what's happening there and just finish it off quickly and get it done you have members of the military openly and and you have ramzan kadyrov the head of chechnya who's a terrifying dude who had some of the most scariest most heavily armed people in inside Russia who are now fighting in Ukraine, some really powerful, scary, heavily armed people are openly arguing with Putin and saying, why are we Dilly dragging our feet? Yeah, why are we dragging our feet? So he's created a contingent of people who actually make him look like the moderate. And again, having just come back from this conference, you know, I had an opportunity to, to speak to people there. And I was uh, speaking on the sidelines with the head of Estonian intelligence. I was asking him about this and about who, you know, a potential successor to Putin is. And his response was basically this. He kind of said my fear back to me, which was that there is now a party of war and Putin has become kind of the moderating force and that whoever comes after him would probably be even more hawkish and even crazier and even more aggressive than Putin. You listen to the Al Franken podcast, which uh, always cheers up my <laughs> listeners. Hey, that's a big audience. Yeah. Don't start wars. That's the problem. It's like once they start, all kinds of 
unintended consequences follow. Why and didn't you say that to Putin, Julia? I said it publicly for a long time. Don't start yeah, wars. Yeah, I did try to send him a singing telegram that said, make love, not war, but he didn't accept. <laughs> oh. So, so the Europeans are really worried about these midterms, right? That's right. Look, we've been yo-yoing back and forth basically for the last 20 years, going from administration to administration in a way that America hadn't before. Foreign policy was never by fully bipartisan, but there was much more of a middle ground consensus before, I think, Iraq. And so this kind of yo-yoing has given, especially after 2016 with Trump, has given the Europeans a lot of whiplash and has really undermined their trust in us and their faith in us. And they don't know now that, you know, they're like, great, Biden's great. And he, we trust him and the people around him. And they're all professionals who are sane and know what they're talking about. But we don't know who's coming in in the midterms and who's going to run Congress. And if it's going to be a bunch of MAGA yo-yos who are not going to want to fund Ukraine, who are going to try kneecapping NATO again. And if in 2024, either Trump wins or somebody like Trump wins and starts not just kneecapping NATO, but playing footsie with Putin and says, you know what? Let's force Ukraine into a settlement. Let's force Ukraine to give up territory. You know, basically taking the Tucker Carlson line, which is Ukraine is a corrupt fascist regime and our natural ally is Russia because they're white and Christian and we like big powers. So, you know, why are we supporting the Ukrainians anyway? And that would leave Europe kind of sandwiched between fascists on both sides. So they're really nervous. They know that like they have this little pause right now. They don't know what's coming next, and they're realizing that they have to rely more on themselves and that they can't really count on us. You know, Tucker said that thing about Democrats say we should hate Putin, uh, but why? I mean, he hasn't called me a racist. He hasn't <laughs> sent, sent our middle-class jobs to Russia. He hasn't tried to cancel Christmas. And you know what? Tucker's right. Putin hasn't done any of that stuff, and yet I just hate Tucker. Anyway, um, uh, okay, so let, let's hope we win the midterm. <laughs> That's uh, my message to the listeners. Do everything we can to win these midterms. But and, and the Europeans have a right to be very nervous about us. And uh, yeah. yeah, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Julia Yaffe. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases. The time is now more than ever to embrace the breathtaking, sinister, and shocking tales that can enthrall you, especially with brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped, like Amy Tintera's Listen for the Lie. With exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors, captivating sound design, and dynamic performances, Audible brings these stories to life like never before. And as a member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. 
Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power the collaboration needed for teams to accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything, from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you connected and moving together as one. So, uh, you you written a piece about uh, Brittany Griner recently, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, again, you know Russia. In the, in the piece, you're saying that they just... They, of course, they have zero tolerance on drugs, and mm-hmm. but also they have almost zero percent acquitting anyone Correct. of anything, right? Correct. It's um, it's a. Re- You'll be surprised to know that there's not much justice in the Russian justice system. It's shocking, I know, but I mean, it, basically, once an arrest is made, you're basically guaranteed to be found guilty of whatever it is you're charged with. And that's because it's still kind of a Soviet system where everybody has to have good numbers and meet their quotas. And if, you know, everybody touches the case, like the cop who makes the arrest and the detectives who investigate it and the prosecutor who charges and tries it. And then if the judge swoops in and acquits or finds the person not guilty, then it makes everybody else down the chain look like an asshole and messes up their numbers, whereas they're kind of all working together. There's this idea that they should all work together and keep their numbers up. So yeah, it's not about looking at the at the facts, as it were. Brittany Griner is actually kind of lucky. You know, today she testified her lawyers have been allowed to introduce evidence and call witnesses. Ten years ago, I covered the Pussy Riot trial. They weren't allowed to call a single witness in their own defense. So, Brittany has it pretty good. Now, the message here to, again, to my listeners is if you're traveling to Russia, you know, don't forget. uh, Just check your luggage. Don't forget something in it that could get you there in in prison for 17 years in Russia. Here's the thing. Uh, As somebody who travels a lot, as somebody who has spent time living in and traveling to Russia, I know that as an American, and I live there at the height of the reset, when things were, Moscow and Washington were really trying to work together and have a good relationship. But even then, I was aware that as an American, as a journalist, I had to be super careful to not give the Russians ammunition. And that it was a zero tolerance drug country and that there were Americans in Russian jails doing a lot of time for drugs and there wasn't a whole lot the American embassy can do for them. And in general, I think a lot of this uproar over Brittany Griner is like, there's an aspect to it that it feels very American. That's like, as if all Americans traveling anywhere in the world should have diplomatic immunity if that makes sense. Mm. Like that if you go to another country and you break the law, but if you're an American celebrity, the American government should just do everything and give up anything necessary to get you out of jail. That's my position, by the way. (laughs) 
I, I, I think it's kind of strange. But on the other hand, I do feel awful for Brittany Griner. She was arrested a week before the invasion. And now there is not just a bad relationship. There is no relationship between Washington and Moscow. She is an American, which makes her extremely vulnerable to violence in prison, to discrimination. She is black. She is gay. She is tall as shit. No matter what happens, she's going to be found guilty. Even if a deal is struck, she is going to serve some of her sentence. And she sticks out. The Russian penal system is horrific. It is horrific. It is still some of the same prisons, some of the same penal colonies that made up the gulag. And they have been updated just a little bit. And, and, and to be an American who is 25 feet tall and black and gay in that situation, who, by the way, does not speak Russian and cannot navigate the system, it just sounds like an absolute waking nightmare. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Now, by the way, she plays in the league in Russia, right? Yeah, but she doesn't speak Russian. Yeah. No, no, I know and that. I'm, but what I'm she, saying yeah, yeah. is people have to understand why she's there, right? She's there because they pay women athletes more in Russia to play. Well, basketball. yeah, she makes three or she made three times as much playing in Yekaterinburg in this in Siberia than she did playing in Phoenix. And so when people say like, well, it, if it was LeBron, well, LeBron would have never had to go to Siberia to play. And also, if it were LeBron, LeBron would never get out because the Russians would be like, great, we have LeBron. Um, can we have Alaska, please? <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Well, that's hopefully they're going to do some kind of exchange and we'll give them an actual spy <laughs> and we'll get her. But you're, you're saying they'll give her some time. They'll make her stay there and uh, do time before that happens. Is that what you're saying? I mean, she'll probably have to serve some of her sentence by the time a deal is reached. But from what I've heard, they're in no mood to, to reach a deal, the Russians. Man, oh, man. Okay. Mm -hmm. that, that's sad and sick. And also, look, here, here's the other problem. Americans... And again, this will come a surprise to you as a surprise to you and your listeners, but Americans really don't understand Russia. And they're like, why isn't more being done? And why isn't more being said? And we should all be like, you know, ringing the alarm and screaming about Brittany Griner. Well, guess what? The more you do that, the more it raises her value and the more Russia can ask for in return for her freedom. And so the more you make her a cause celeb, the more Russia can say like, you know what? We don't want Victor Boot. We want you to ease sanctions. And what does the Biden White House say to that? This is why uh, this is why Trump and Putin were friends. Correct. Yeah. I think maybe actually in this case, Trump might have had better luck in getting Griner out. Remember the ASAP Rocky case? He loved this kind of stuff. No, I don't remember that. What? What? ASAP Rocky, the the rapper who got arrested for, I think, for brawling in Sweden. Mm -hmm. And it became a whole thing. And his fans were like, why isn't the U.S. government doing more to get him out? He's in a Swedish prison, which I imagine was like... 
that much Ikea. better than yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, much better than a Russian prison. And uh, Trump, I mean, obviously, it's much easier to make a deal with Sweden. Than, yeah. with, than with Russia, just a little bit. But he, you know, he like, he loves making, A, he loves celebrities. B, he loves making these kinds of deals. And he made a big thing out of it. He doesn't love black people, as we know, but he made a big, big to do out of, out of the swap. So, I don't know. Uh, that was one of the uh, big to do's that I missed because there are so many big to do's, like three every day. Only three every day. It was like three an hour. Yeah. Which is why you can't remember any of them. I mean, correct. (laughs) Remember the time he tried to buy Greenland? I do. That I I remember. That was a good one. You looked at a map and it was very big. Yeah. And green. Yeah. Well, Ron Johnson, don't get Ron Johnson started on that. That's, that's, he's proved that the planet hasn't warmed because Greenland evidently was green. You see, and now it's almost all covered with ice. So therefore, don't get me started. (laughs) Okay. um, So Jesus Christ, this is uh, (laughs) no, I'm a little, little uh, uh, depressed about about this, but uh, I can't. I mean, this is so horrific. I mean, if you want to talk, it's never good news with Russia. This is the thing. And then people are like, why are you so depressing? And I'm like, I'm just telling you what's go- like, th- it's just the nature of the subject. They're just, it's a, it's, it's not a good time. Well, let's cheer us up. Uh, so how's China doing? How are we doing with China? <laughs> yeah. um, they're pretty mad. What are they so mad about now? Oh, um, and we accuse them of genocide. <laughs> they mad at that. They're mad at that. Uh, they're mad that Biden uh, Beetlejuiced the kind of one China policy that he said that we would, that the U.S. would come to Taiwan's aid militarily if China attacked. They're pretty mad about that. Uh, they're mad that Nancy Pelosi is thinking of visiting Taiwan. And today we just got news that the Pentagon is updating some military plans and putting the military on alert. In case Pelosi does go visit Taiwan and it kicks some stuff off. So that's good. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, things are not, things are not looking good. I like the people I talk to are telling me that it, things are good in the sense that because the war in Ukraine has kind of put some time on the clock vis a vis Taiwan and China. Like that they were going to make a move earlier, but now they're seeing how badly things are going for Russia in Ukraine and they're kind of recalculating a little bit. What a nightmare. What do we do Mm -hmm. if they just invade Taiwan? What, what, what does that look like? What, what is they're making that decision look like? What does it look like? Well, the thing is that we don't uh, we don't know, and that there are many things they can do short of actually invading it, and invading it would actually be quite difficult because it would involve because it's an island that's quite mountainous, and that's very hard to invade because amphibious landings are really hard to do, but also resupplying an island that's under attack would be very hard to do for us for us. The other thing is, would it be what would happen with the U.S.? Because would the would China attack U.S. bases that would be involved in 
resupplying Taiwan, you know, kind of Pearl Harbor style. So, but that is like the most extreme, I think, side of things. I think there, there's a number of options available to China short of that, including cyber, including less other less scary options in trying to bring Taiwan to heal. They've been talking, you know, again, at this, at, at, at the Aspen Security Forum, the Chinese ambassador to the U.S., scared the shit out of everybody because he was like, yep, we are going to reunify China very soon. Uh, but don't worry, it's going to be peaceful. And um, you guys are the you, the US are the ones putting all this Cold War talk out into the ether. Um, and we're trying to be peaceful. But if you guys, if you guys want to go, we'll go and we're going to re- reunify China. Oh, boy. You know, people sometimes ask me like, Hey, you know, uh, have you thought of running for president? My response kind of is, well, problem is if I won, I'd have to be president. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say if you want to be president, I'd wait till after the nuclear holocaust because there'd be just fewer people to rule and, and just logistically less complicated. Yeah, but it would be sad. And your skin might be peeling off, so that's hard. Yeah. Okay. I'm taking your advice. Waiting till after. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, back to the back to the uh, fun stuff. I, I the problem is that both like China is clearly itching for a fight with the U.S. and you know really wants to kind of have it out and 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 settle this shit one once and for all. Russia has, from the very beginning of the war in Ukraine, has been very clear that they're not really fighting Ukraine in Ukraine. Even though they're Ukraine. also saying they're fighting Ukraine because it's not, it's, yeah, it's not really Ukraine, that they're fighting the US and NATO in Ukraine, which is like, poor Ukraine. Why are you, then why, like, why don't you bomb NATO? Why are you bombing Ukraine, which is not in NATO? Anyway, like, both these two giant nuclear powers are just itching for a confrontation with the, a military confrontation with the US. And, um, I don't know. I like, like how much longer does that gun stay on the, you know, mantelpiece in act one without going off? It's a Chekhov reference. Julia, it's been, uh, it's been <laughs> a pleasure. Uh, I'm so sorry. Okay. Uh, any good news, any good news, uh, internationally or, uh, maybe in your family, do you have some good news? Uh, um, <laughs> any friends hold on, wait, doing something me- interesting? <laughs> <laughs> that something good happened to them <laughs> anything just anything i'm doing great oh good have <laughs> you have you been watching uh better call saul the end of that no oh that's really good no. you should watch that. i should yeah that's a good news thing that uh, those episodes are really good <laughs> oh i'm oy. sorry yeah, yeah. Uh, well thanks and and uh uh you know, thanks for all the work you do and all the great writing you do and reporting and uh, really value your stuff. Thanks. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week.
If you like the Al Franken podcast, you can listen to all episodes ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Summer is here and adventures await. Wondery and Tinkercast are teaming up to bring you a summer of wow with new episodes of your favorite podcasts. Go on an epic adventure with Portuga the Pirate as she takes a road-tripping adventure across the country on little stories everywhere. Immerse yourself in the life of someone amazing and listen closely for clues to guess who this person is on Whose Amazing Life. Listen to Wow in the World to discover something new about science, technology, and innovation and the world around us. This summer, bring your imagination out into the world and find your wow. Visit Wondery.com slash Summer of Wow to find new episodes of your favorite shows and to download scavenger hunts for the entire family how much do you really know about black history like really really know wondery's new podcast black history for real weaves black history's most overlooked figures back into their rightful place in culture and the world at large listen to black history for real on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcast